Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. You're listening to Yellow Wall Podcast. Sancho swap wings, and he could be a problem for them now. Sancho scores! Jaden Sancho makes it 2 1. Oh, he's absolutely overcome with emotion. And the Dortmund fans will love him forever for that goal if they didn't already. Dear Derby-Sieger to episode 260 of The Yellow World Pod. It's me, your host, Stefan Butzko, once again, this time from Philadelphia. So if I sound a little bit different, it's because I don't have exactly the same setup with me here in Philly. And I'm joined by the one and only Mr. Lars Polman. Hello, Lars. Glad to have you back on the show. Hello, Stefan. Glad to be back. And if I sound any differently, it's not because I'm in Pennsylvania. It is because I have a bit of a stuffy <laughs> nose. All right, yeah, that is... Uh, we have we, we all have our crosses to bear, Stefan. Exactly, exactly. And uh, that is already almost a perfect segue uh, to excuse Matthias Zug, who is uh, suffering a deadly man flu right now. And we will hope that he can return at some point. And uh, I have to say he, uh, that he is very sad because he wanted to rant about uh, Mr. Tedesco himself and... Uh, his decision making and the explanation of his decision making, but more on that later. So, um, first things first, um, Dortmund beat Schalke. Um, that's definitely what we were going to talk about for the most part of this show. Then, of course, Dortmund also won the group against uh, Atletico Madrid in a, a fan duel <laughs> because they beat Monaco in the Champions League, which, uh, yeah, gives them a more Hopefully a more lenient draw in the uh, round of 16 in the Champions League. And then, of course, we have a Englische Woche ahead of us. Borussia Dortmund meet Werder Bremen on Saturday night in the Topspiel. And then on Tuesday night again against Fortuna Düsseldorf. So uh, an interesting week of fixtures, I guess. So, Lars, I personally was, of course, at the game in the Feltins Arena and um, I have to tell you I've been very lucky and blessed because I made the correct prediction and I can tell our listeners that uh, with a cor correct press tip you win two six packs of Feltins Radler so um, that was the highlight of my day um, but you know from what happened on the football pitch there were not too many highlights why was that last? Because Schalke were awful and had a uh <laughs> tactical plan that I did not understand and I think most somewhat experts also didn't understand and also uh, as Marco Reus so eloquently put it after the game they they Schalke kind of lulled Dortmund into a into a slumber for large stretches especially of the second half so the game really kind of died down until the penalty which came uh, all of a sudden really and To Dortmund's credit, I guess they showed the correct reaction to Schalke equalizing from thin air uh, and probably had their best spell of, you know, 20, 15 minutes or whatever it was uh, after the equalizer. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it was kind of a weird game, to be honest, because usually you would expect the Revere Derby to have, you know, more fire and, and passion and whatever than 
really either of the sides showed. I think Dortmund were too dominant for their own good in terms of the derby being a bit of a spectacle usually. But, you know, obviously, whenever you come away with an away win from Schalke, which hadn't happened since 2013, I believe, uh, you know, the the how is not as important as the what. Yeah, that is exactly right. And I have to say, the atmosphere in the stadium was really flat. I mean, the... Uh The choreo Schalke had with the, um, yeah, big ass, I guess, tissue <laughs> or whatever it was. And, and then a couple of, uh, yeah, smoke grenades or whatever it was. Um, yeah, that, that was nice and all, but it was never really as loud as it usually is in the Revere Derby. You know, the atmosphere was to me somewhere of a good, average Bundesliga game but nothing special and that really goes to show yeah that uh, Schalke fans certainly were not up for it they were not in the mood for a derby they knew this was only going to go downhill for, for them I mean right now they have to uh, live through the pain of Borussia Dortmund being in the top of the league while Schalke is what 14th or so and uh, yeah now 22 points between the two teams um Along that margin, how much does this tell about the development of the two teams in the last, I don't know, half season or so? Honestly, I don't know uh, if if it says too much, especially about Schalke, because they uh, came from a position that wasn't really, you know, a natural depiction of their quality last season. I think it's been argued very well by other people that Schalke were kind of uh, inflated vice champions, if you like. I mean, they definitely had the fortune of Dortmund having a bad season, of Leipzig not being up to their standards, of Hoffenheim only coming on in the second half of the season. Leverkusen had problems, so there wasn't, you know, the natural pecking order in, in, in terms of strength of teams in Germany, and also Schalke didn't have European football, so they came from a higher high than they should have come as opposed to Dortmund who came from a lower low than they should have come. So I think this juxtaposition is kind of yeah inflated. I think Dortmund probably aren't as good as the table says they are right now. I think they were quite fortunate, especially at the start of the season in a couple of games. They could easily have, you know, four to six or seven points less than they have right now without their performances being any different. Uh, let's remember only, for example, the first half against Leipzig on match day one. They could have been down by three goals after 30 minutes, I guess. Yeah, and they also easily could have been out of the game against Leverkusen. And and, and Augsburg and, and even Frankfurt game was quite hard. And, you know, I, I think the, the two teams probably are closer than the table says and also than, you know, the performance on Saturday says. But... At the end of the day, the, the table doesn't lie. And, and certainly for Schalke, that's quite a painful thing to look at at this moment. And it probably will be for the rest of the season because they can basically kiss their uh, European hopes goodbye already. Yeah, that they most likely will because of, of all the teams up there. I just don't see anyone being so bad that Schalke has a chance to to catch them to be honest so um tedesco at the at the news conference after the game said you know about the first half that they had more possession a good ball circulation but uh, all they lacked was penetration and uh, said 
you simply need to come away with more from such a good first half. Um, last, to me, that's a bit of a head scratcher because Schalke were woeful and I did not see anything even resemblant of a good half, even for their standards. Um, how do you explain such an analysis after the game from the head coach? Uh, honestly, I don't, I don't have a good explanation because I, I would, definitely agree with you that Schalke weren't necessarily any good and certainly didn't have a great half of or whatever so maybe it's uh anti-zyklisch as we say in German so you uh praise something when it's going badly and you'll be you, you're more skeptic of something when it's going your way but you know uh they they didn't have any kind of attacking threat throughout the first 45 minutes the uh the one chance they had from Burgstaller would have been waved off by VAR review because he used his hand to stop the ball. Uh, I, I know they had a penalty shot for a handball from Axel Witzel, but uh, I think it was Burgstaller who trapped his arm. Uh, I get no call. Yeah, definitely not a deliberate handball because he wasn't able to pull his arm away. Uh, Witzel wasn't. So, you know, if you can't uh, do anything with your arm, uh, that's not handball. So, uh, that offensively, they, they offered nothing and defensively, they were all over the place at times. I think Dortmund actually should have done better in exploiting that because, uh, for example, Schalke played in a, in a midfield diamond, which left acres of space for Marco Reus. Basically, throughout the first 30 or so minutes, they, they switched a few things up after Burgstaller went off injured. But in that opening half an hour, whatever it was, You know, Reus was running at defenders at least five or six times uh, with speed, the ball at his feet, and a couple of options for a pass. The the decision making was off from Reus, from uh, Jaden Sancho, from Jakob Brunlarsen, from Alcacer. So, it, it, I mean, Dortmund really should have made Schalke pay more for their lack of a good first half. So Tedesco standing up in front of a, a crowd of somewhat knowledgeable news reporters, I reckon, and basically talking BS. Uh, yeah, I, you said head scratcher. That that puts it nicely. <laughs> yeah, I mean the guy sitting next to me. I think he was writing for the Was or Ruhnachrichten or something. But um, I've never met this person before. But he. Seemed to be a Schalke homer and throughout 90 minutes he was basically puking in a, in a stream, in a consistent stream of uh, hurling insults at Schalke and how bad they are, which was sort of amusing but also a little bit annoying. Um, but um, yeah, he uh, certainly wasn't as nice to, to Tedesco and uh, basically questioned uh, why he should still be Schalke manager, but that's, uh, I guess, not for us to discuss. Um But what we still can discuss a little bit is um, <laughs> why would you bring on a left back when your one striker that you have gets injured with the explanation that Konoplyanka, the, uh, I guess, first choice for everyone else, um, yeah, is a, is a winger. And Tedesco put it this way that he would stick to the wings too much. And uh, yeah, this I can even understand that you want to have a pacey player um, running behind the defense, even though it's not working as well against Yalo and Akanji than it maybe did against Socrates and Toprak. Um, but 
then again a left back is usually also someone who sticks to the to the wings um Lars I once again have to go to you for this uh, what the hell was going on once again I don't know uh, <laughs> I mean uh, Mendil was shrugged uh, off the ball so easily by uh, Akanji on the stroke of half on the stroke of half time that was basically the perfect illustration of the two teams on this day uh, if we are a bit generous towards Dortmund because really they weren't all that good for maybe 60-70 minutes of the game but uh, as for the reasoning behind such a substitution I don't know I mean first of all I I kind of understood why uh, Weston McKinney, who is a jack of all trades, basically played up front because you know he's uh, quite physical. He can run at defenders, make them work hard, uh, you know, win an aerial duel or so. But him with Burgstaller, who's also hardworking and not necessarily a good football player, uh, that that was kind of redundant. So. Uh, I didn't understand that in the first place. Why would you place two strikers if you have one on Humboldt's uh, shoulders, knees, heads and toes or whatever it was for him? Uh, and, and then when, when Burgstaller had to come off, I, I guess with the muscular thing, uh, the, the substitution to Mendil, who, as you said, as a left back, didn't make any sense because he wasn't playing, uh, on the wing. He was supposed to be a striker. Uh, he doesn't have any kind of instincts going forward. He doesn't have any kind of physicality. Uh, he's not necessarily a good football player himself. So maybe that was the reasoning for bringing him on for Burgstaller. So you have a like for like replacement in, in lack of skills you need as a, as a forward player in the Bundesliga, especially against good Dortmund defenser, uh, def defenders. But. I mean, the the entire thing didn't really make sense to me. As you said, he had Konoplyanka on the bench who played as a secondary striker throughout last season, basically. And he had Cedric Teuchert on the bench who uh, does really well for the German under-21 team by uh, for for instance. And, you know, if he, he came back from an injury himself, so maybe he wasn't ready to play 60 minutes or so, but in a derby... I guess you can kind of put someone on and say, if you don't have any, any more legs, then just tell me and you, you'll, you know, you'll stand on the side of things or whatever. But uh, to bring on a, on a left back and have the audacity to actually try to give a, a tactical explanation for such a gaffe, um, doesn't reflect well on Tedesco, who I think just kind of had an off day because for however uh, badly Schalke is struggling, I, d I don't think he's a bad coach by any means. So. I think he's he's probably a bit overwhelmed by the entire situation and uh, the the typical Schalke chaos that that kind of had an off year last year uh, coming back and and transfers not working out. So, uh, but you know the the these substitutions really Dortmund should have done much better to punish Schalke for their ineptitude. Yeah, very true. I I think to summarize, uh, Tedesco fertuchelt the derby. He was just overthinking things. Yeah, but but when Tuchel did this, at least they were still competitive. I mean, even though it was a two-one scoreline with Dortmund not playing particularly well, the, there was never even one instance where you felt the game would be able to turn itself on its head or anything. So, and that's I mean, Tuchel did some massive mistakes in big games, but. He didn't come close to this kind of fuckery. <laughs> no, he did not. 
Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know what's going on with Schalke. To be honest, they were just so bad. I don't even know how how many times, but it must be a record. Um, they they managed to uh, pass the ball out of play like in the final ten minutes or so of the game where they were pushing for equalizer. Were they? Technically, I don't know. Maybe, but I mean, do you remember them? You know, advancing the ball into the box. I think they had a, they had, they had a yeah I mean they had a couple of set pieces and it would have been typical Schalke of last season to actually come away with the result there from you know Ronaldo head or whatever but yeah but Ronaldo said on the yeah board, so. another mistake by Tedesco seriously I mean who is who is Schalke's Mister Derby at the moment it's Ronaldo he scored in both games last season as a centre back I mean it's not rocket science. <laughs> Anyway, um, maybe let's uh, turn the focus a little bit away from the Schadenfreude. Um, even though we're both a little bit giddy, I feel, even though it's it's been almost a week now since the derby. Um, how happy were you with uh, Borussia Dortmund's, uh, let's say, core um, midfield with Witzel and Delaney, and of course Akanji and Diallo? Because I personally was very pleased and to me that was sort of the difference between this season and, and last season of, of the players in there and how they performed and how they managed to yeah impose themselves on this derby. Yeah, I think uh, Delaney, Witzel, Akanji Diallo were all really excellent in this game. For example, uh, Akanji and Diallo combined to misplace nine passes throughout the game, didn't uh, have a single foul or didn't commit a single foul. Uh, Delaney, I think, was kind of the the leader in this game because typically I think he's kind of the... He, he really plays off and feeds off Witzel more than the other way around. But this time it really felt like Delaney was the one who lifted the team up. He, I mean, if you looked at his face, I don't know if, if, if you've seen the replay or something, but whenever Delaney was in the picture, he, he just had a blast. I mean, he scored his first goal. He, he went berserk in, in celebration. Whenever there, there was a, a small kerfluffle or whatever, Delaney came in, but not, you know, overly aggressively, but, you know, just having the time of his life. I think he, he really lives for these kinds of games. And, you know, you, you certainly saw that in his performance. I mean, I've been fairly critical of him. I still don't think you need him nearly as much as Farfa uses him, uh, especially against, you know, lesser op uh, opposition like uh, uh, Mainz, for example. I don't know that Delaney needs to play all these games, but, I mean, against Schalke, he, he showed why Dortmund got this kind of player and spent a lot of money on him, so kudos to him and uh, just generally I mean Dortmund played with I think seven players who had never been in a derby before uh, that includes Akanji and uh, Sancho who had been here last season but didn't play in the in the uh, second half of the season so uh, and, and, and in no instance did you ever feel any jitters or whatever and I think you can probably break that down uh, as a credit both to Lucien Favre and the core, as you said, in, in Delaney, Witzel, Akanji, Diallo, because they were rock solid, and that's the foundation, especially in these emotionally charged games. Yeah, the fact that Schalke really didn't register any chance apart from the uh, 
yeah, shot off Burgsteller, that would have been ruled out, and then of course the penalty. By the by the way, uh, just really quick, that was still an insane save from Roman Burki. Uh, yes. on Burgstroller. I mean, then he didn't really get the credit because of the, the handball situation, but that was maybe the best save he's made all season. And there are a lot of, a lot uh, to choose from. Yeah. It, no, it was a good re reaction. Did he save it with his arm or with his torso? Foot. No, I, I, uh, yeah. it, it was either the arm or the midsection. There wasn't really a great, uh, replay because anytime they did show a replay, it was, to focus either on Witzel, who got clattered in the head by someone, or Burgstaller's hand. But, uh, yeah, regardless, still a magnificent save. Yeah, it, it certainly uh, looked very um, unlikely from, from the stand to save that ball. Um, I thought it was going in. Uh, and I also didn't see that uh, Burgstaller handled it um, the way he did. So, um, yeah. Sadly, also no replay up there in the, in the press stand. So, um, that's a major disadvantage, especially when it comes to the VAR reviews, because you have no idea what is going on. And, uh, so has uh, everyone else in, in the stadium. Um, everyone is just dumbfounded, I guess, which is a little bit annoying. And I, uh, urge for more transparency and hope that at some point we can all watch the, replay on the big ass video screens we all have in the stadium um so maybe quickly Schalke of course equalized through Daniel Caligiuri in the 61st minute I think it was and uh, that literally came out of nothing um I I'm still not sure if, if that's like a clear and obvious error that you need to um uh, over overturn the the ruling um you said you had a more um, you, you think it's hundred percent right to give that penalty? Why again? Well, I mean, uh, in a in a vacuum, if you only look at the situation, I think it's a clear penalty because Royce steps on Amin Harit's uh, foot. Uh, I I know that uh, the the Moroccan is kind of a diver and spent most of Saturday on the ground, but you know, when he's fouled, he's entitled to go down and. I certainly yeah, my, my mother-in-law who is 85 years old and doesn't really know much about soccer told her analysis of this game was that Schalke are big whiners. <laughs> <laughs> I mean she she knows all she needs to know about the Revier Derby basically. Uh so yeah, I mean Royce stepped on Harry's foot and therefore it's a penalty. I I mean if 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 the standard still is in play that it needs to be an egregious officiating error to be overturned then uh, I guess you could argue it wasn't necessarily because m maybe it's more of a 7 out of 10 than, you know, 10 out of 10. But uh, I don't think that standard has really been, you know, the, the operating procedure throughout, especially this season, but also last season, I think. Uh, particularly in these moments when they have a lot of time to look at it with Harit needing, in uh, parentheses, uh, treatment after uh, the clash of with Royce. I think they had so much time to look at it that they kind of said, well, typically we would give a penalty for this. So why don't you go take a look for yourself? So, uh, I, 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 let's, let me put it this way. I understood why it was given, but maybe it wasn't necessarily a 100% penalty decision. Yeah. I think I can agree with that because, um, of course, Royce steps on his foot and it's, uh, certainly painful. But then again, I, I think in, in real time, the move was just so quick that I felt like Harit's foot was 
you know, just moving in the same direction to the same spot and uh, just got his foot under the one of Royce. And at the same time, Royce, of course, played the ball. So, um, yeah, to me, really hard. But then again, uh, I think the VAR has has uh, had worse decisions than this. Um, and to me, also really the only source for goals um, or source of goals for Schalke this season Um you know, via the penalty. I think the last three Bundesliga goals they've scored all came via penalty, um, which, uh, yeah, really says a lot about their uh, lack of creativity. Um, but, of course, that was actually nice for Schalke to score because um, that meant that we actually got to see Dortmund play a little bit of good football, I guess, in the, in the last half hour or so. Um, game also turned a little bit around with the introduction of uh, Rafael Guerrero, who then ended up, of course, playing that pass to Jaden Sancho. Um, on a, I, I don't know if you want to rank this goal, but um, I think you were already lamenting Jaden Sancho's performance, and uh, but also aware that if you do that, he will score or assist the winning goal. Um, so you were in the end right. Um, what do you make of Jaden Sancho's performance? Yeah, all things considered, Lars Tradamus was at play, uh, <laughs> as as so often. Uh, not necessarily this season. I'm, I'm I will be honest. I also went for a draw before the game. Uh, luckily, I wasn't on the show last week, but now I'm telling on myself, which is kind of dumb. Uh, yeah, I, which is fine. I predicted the set piece goal by the yeah. I, I, so, I, I I've heard. I, I've been made aware. <laughs> by several people on Twitter, most of which were probably burner accounts of yourself. Um, as for Sancho's performance, uh, to be honest, uh, I wasn't overly impressed with him. Obviously, there's the caveat of uh, his uh, family situation, and we all can feel for the, the kid, I, I, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and, and, you know, it would have been perfectly understandable if he didn't play, and he deserves a lot of credit for actually playing. And still doing rather well in the end. I mean, he got the winner in a Revier Derby at the age of 18. That's uh, a lot more than most of us, myself included, will ever accomplish in their lives. Not necessarily only athletically. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, in terms of what I didn't like about his performance, it was uh, decision-making, which is an ongoing issue, I think, with him, because at times... He takes too long to make the right call. He takes that one extra touch that turns a, a good chance from, uh, you know, being readily available to, I wish he had passed the ball just a split second earlier or whatever. So with uh, Pulisic and Guerrero on the bench, I thought maybe this was the kind of game, especially with his family situation, where after 60 minutes you say, come on, didn't have a great game, get a rest. Uh, we we have four more games in the span of uh, two weeks or whatever it is. But, you know, I think to his credit and to Lucien Favre's credit also, I think they, they all realize at Dortmund just how special he is and how he can turn a game around with, you know, basically one touch of the ball or in this instance with one move to the left wing where they suddenly overloaded with him and Guerrero. Uh, and, you know, Schalke in person of, I think, Rudi failed to cut out the pass and Nastasic didn't really uh, close him down. So 
Schalke made it somewhat easy on him, but to have that kind of composure in front of goal at the age of 18 in a Riviera derby, even though we've talked about it not being necessarily the 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 cracker from an emotional standpoint in terms of you know derbies of the last few years, uh, I mean that deserves all the credit in the world, and obviously he scored from the same position that Marco Reus three minutes later, probably the Bundesliga's best player this season, failed to score. So uh, it was a, a very important moment, obviously, because uh, it was kind of the first real chance after the equalizer. So they, they needed a quick answer and he provided it. And that's kind of the player he has become this season for Dortmund. Yeah, just incredible that play also because I thought for a moment he, he forgot the ball, uh, but he sort of just dragged it from behind with his foot. And, uh, I also did not expect that shot, um, because it was a very low shot right next to Fairman's leg somehow, but, you know, just putting it somewhere where he just couldn't get to it. Um, and how you not take that shot is, uh, yeah, exactly as he said, something that Marco Royce demonstrated just like literally three minutes later or so, and where he just blasted it and Fairman had it covered. Um, so overall, a very great goal in terms of composure. Also, that pass from Guerrero was, was really smart. And yeah, that Sebastian Rudi just stayed rooted, basically. Uh, that, of course, helped. But nevertheless, um, yeah, just a, a great goal. And maybe final point on, on Jaden Sancho is that he's still somewhat inconsistent. And I think there are a couple of games where maybe he puts too much pressure on himself and then wants to win it all by himself. Um, and, and that sometimes hampers his decision making. I completely agree, especially in the first half. He could have passed in two or three, on two or three occasions, um, where he would have had the, better runner but all that being said it's not like um you know we can criticize him there too much also pointing to his age there was a 29 year old marco royce who um got the ball passed to him by schalke where he could run at defenders where he had uh, you know teammates running into position and, and still he didn't pick the the right pass or or executed well so um yeah this is sometimes how it is i still think dortmund didn't have their best game of the season uh not not even by a mile i thought they were overall pretty poor but you know it was still enough to to beat schalke quite easily in the end um of course it would have been nicer for them to just you know, punish Schalke for literally every mistake and then it might have been like a 4-0 or 4-1 or whatever. But uh, yeah, it wasn't going to be. I think Dortmund certainly take that win. Um, lastly, um, because that discussion has been all around, um, does uh, Paco Alcacer now only... Yeah, is, is he only a joker? And why was he so, um, yeah, n not not so prominent when he started against Schalke? Well, I don't necessarily know why he wasn't doing well. I mean, I think for him, a lot of, a lot of things come down to, you know, that first chance being tucked away and he kind of gets into this, this, uh, monster mode where, you know, basically everything works afterwards. I think he had that, that nice curling shot a few minutes after the, the, Very close. the, 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 the first goal of Delaney. Uh, if that goes in, you know, we are probably looking at a 4-0, 5-0 bashing just because of the, 
you know, confidence factor in, in Alcacer and, you know, the entire team, basically. Uh, While Schalke collapses. Yeah. I, I, I would uh, agree uh, that he hasn't really played all that well as a, as a starting striker. And, and maybe it's just because we have more time to focus on it. Because, uh, typically when he comes on for the last 30 minutes and he scores a goal, then nobody will talk about his layoffs being off or his movement being slightly off or whatever. Um, I mean, I've been called a Mario Götze fanboy on Twitter incessantly this season, but I mean, I would still argue that Götze right now is doing better as a starting striker. He's just not, you know, scoring goals, which is obviously very important and why, uh, Favre is, is right in trying to get Alcacer to be, you know, more of a regular presence from the start of games. But if, if for whatever reason tomorrow they, they played, uh, you know, a semi-final in the Champions League, I would feel much better with Götze starting and Alcacer coming off the bench than, you know, Alcacer starting and Götze, who isn't really a goal threat, uh, coming off the bench or Philip coming off the bench or whomever. So. Uh, this is obviously an ongoing thing and, and will probably get better from Alcacer's perspective after, you know, spending winter training camp with Dortmund and getting more accustomed to things. But uh, it's certainly notable not only in did he score, did, did he not score uh, kind of ways, but also in terms of his actual performance, which, to be honest, has been quite poor in starting games at times. Yeah, I would agree. And uh, on, on that point, on, on Mario Getze, After he came on, um, that was also a big help for Dortmund just because the energy he brought on, onto the field. I mean, of course he was fresh, but just the way he, he pressed Schalke defenders was just amazing to see because he does it so intelligently. He just knows, you know, to what kind of arc, what kind of bend, I guess, to add to his runs. So, um, he put certain other players into, in, in the cover shadow and, um, Yeah, that was frightening, and of course, um, just the way he handles the ball with with such um, finesse had Dortmund also in 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 the final uh yeah quarter of the game where he managed to find solutions when there were like two or three Schalke defenders around him, and he sometimes just dinked it on with the outside of his boot or so. Um, so I thought that Götze actually added a lot after coming on, and even though he didn't score, um. Yeah, that was also very bright and yeah, I think makes a little bit your point that, uh, you know, he is right now the better integrated striker of, of the two. Let's put it this way. And, um, yeah, overall a very good Saturday for Dortmund. And I'm also glad that there were not too many, um, violent incidents around the game there was not much i heard at least um, and we've had other other times so i think overall for dortmund a very successful derby and nice for the players to get to celebrate uh, with uh, a lot of fans coming back to the training ground maybe this can give them a little bit of a boost as well um last i guess it's time to move on unless you have a final point on the Rivier derby i do not okay so, um, as I don't know if I mentioned it on the air or just off the air, but, uh, I've missed the, uh, Dortmund game against Monaco because I was, uh, in the air. <laughs> so, um, yeah, while I was flying and I, I could actually l watch the, um, uh, Barcelona against Tottenham game 
on a plane, which was nice and a great goal by Usman Dembele there. Um, but I, of course, missed the brace by Rafael Guerrero. And uh, since I think you watched the game, um, I think it's valid to ask right now if uh, Mr. Guerrero has a bit of a renaissance under Lucien Favre now after um, yeah, a difficult summer preparation where it was very late. I think joined the team after the World Cup, you know, and then, yeah, had a couple of niggly injuries here and there, and also last season was pretty patchy for him. So are we seeing uh, Guerrero finally picking it up again? Well, first of all, you missed the Guerrero brace, brace and I would say almost literally nothing else. So uh, if if you had the the chance to watch some highlights uh i'm i'm struggling to find a way how they would have come up with more than 30 seconds of footage uh i mean whatever we say about or whatever i say i guess uh, about this game has to come with the huge asterisk of uh monaco being arguably the worst side i've ever seen in the champions league especially or at least with with dortmund as the opponent, and that includes Dortmund themselves last season. I think the Peter Bosch side would have scored a couple of goals against Monaco and probably won the game, which is obviously be because Monaco are 19th in Ligue 1 and, and, you know, Thierry Henry not really caring about a good goodbye from the Champions League for good reason. I mean, it's not like they have too many fans that will go on strike uh in Monaco, I mean, they they didn't even even fill out their ten thousand seater stadium, uh, which kind of tells you everything you need to know about the state of that club. Um, so yeah, as for Guerrero, to be honest, I didn't think he had a too great a game. I don't think anybody, especially attacking wise, had a great game. Uh, but you know, he was in the in the right spot to put away the two chances that fell to him. Uh, unlike uh, Maxi Philip. Uh, I think he was the only one really who had another chance from open play that was like egregious. Uh, I I don't know. Toprak had had a had a header of a Schmelzer shot. And Schmelzer was really good, by the way. Um, Toprak was also good, uh, but you know that just the entirety of the game was basically Dortmund knowing full well that if they had to, they would be able to put a few goals behind uh, Monaco. But, you know, and once again, decision-making, especially of Mahmoud Dahoud being problematic, Pulisic kind of ran into walls here and there. So you just were able to see that it was quite disjointed and they didn't have your automatisms uh, readily available to them because of all the changes, nine changes in terms of uh, the Revere Derby 11. So basically everybody knew ahead that you know, Dortmund would arguably or probably win this game just because Monaco are so bad. The important thing, the important game happened in Bruges and, you know, Dortmund were quite fortunate that Atletico drew, uh, which I think Schmelzer predicted actually. He said we, we, we expected them to play a goalless draw, which is kind of, uh, what Atletico do away from home this season. Um, so. I mean, or lose for nothing. Yeah, yeah, but, but they, I mean, they were much better than Monaco were at, uh, at Dortmund and, uh, as Mon than Monaco were at home. Because as I said, they were, they, they were god awful. I mean, the, uh, 
Schalke in Revierderby form would have beaten Monaco on Tuesday night. So it, I, I, I really think we, we need not talk about it much longer because quite obviously that, that was a game that was not competitive. So. Well, I guess the, the positive takeaways is that uh, players like Reus, Witzel, Delaney and so on and so forth got a rest. A couple of uh, players are obviously. I'm still doubtful for the Bremen game. I think Favre at the press conference today uh, did not want to talk about exactly who it was, but I think he revealed that Delaney is like doubtful. Yeah. I don't know if, if uh, Royce is implicated in that as well. Um, but before we talk about the Bremen game quickly, um, Dortmund um, can now face um, Liverpool, Tottenham, Manchester United, Ajax, Lyon and Roma. In the round of 16, um, which I think is a bit of an upgrade over um, the other uh, teams they would have played. I think there were uh, Barcelona, PSG, Porto, Man City, Real Madrid and Juventus. So I think in the end they, you know, have a good chance of, you know, getting a bit of a more lenient draw. Then again, they could also face Liverpool. Um, any uh, favorites you have in, in, in the, uh, yeah group of of clubs that Dortmund can play any any draw you would say is very favorable to Dortmund and someone you think they'd rather not draw I mean like everyone I don't want to face Liverpool Dortmund to face Liverpool uh, probably for me for different reasons than others because I can't handle another Jurgen Klopp love fest in the media and the entire focus being on a returning head coach who's not been here for three years now and who hasn't coached most of the actual team that is here. Uh, so I, I don't want that. And obviously Liverpool are by far the, the strongest draw they could face from that. So other than that, I'm basically fine with everything. I think it would be uh, cool to face Lyon because they've never played uh, against Olympique and it's kind of a cool squad with a lot of up-and-coming players you will probably see make moves to major, major clubs over the next few years. Uh, obviously, some of them, Dortmund fans will hope, will find their way to the Westfalen Stadion eventually, so why not give them a head start on that? Um, but, you know, really, besides Liverpool, I could live with everything. I think Lyon would be cool. Ajax uh, is always a nice trip for fans also. Good atmosphere in, in Amsterdam, uh, not, a, not not far away, whatever. So I think one of these two would be nice, but obviously the chance of it being a Premier League side is 50%. So I'm not very good at math, but I think that's high. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, if you have three Premier League clubs from, from six, that's just how it is. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Um, I agree with your assessment wholeheartedly. And I think with that, we can move on. To Saturday's fixture, Borussia Dortmund face Werder Bremen, who are currently in eighth place. They were third after eight match days and then had a massive dip in form where they, I think, uh, only won one of the last six and got one draw. Um, the last win actually they picked up last weekend against Düsseldorf. Um, I think it was the Friday game or so. Yep. I didn't see it. Um, yeah, in that really poor spell, they were selected by Leverkusen 6-2 and, and, and stuff like that. But I think they also had a somewhat close game against Bayern Munich uh, recently where they lost 2-1 at home. Um, I personally find it really tough to 
to um yeah really analyze Bremen this season and um because they are very topsy turvy. Um if you I don't know if you saw that one one draw they had against Freiburg, but that was like such a crazy game where it could have ended in like a five five tie or something like that, but then in the end it was just a one one draw. What I will say is that Bremen had have a lot of footballing potential that uh, if they manage to get things clicking, um, they're actually great to watch, um, find a lot of footballing solutions. And um, yeah, but so- somehow I don't have an explanation for it. Just sometimes completely lose it, make weird mistakes, pass the ball in zones where it doesn't make any sense to, to pass it into and have sometimes like grave positional errors. Maybe it's just because it's a young young squad, or I don't know. I I have zero idea what's going on with with Bremen. Why they're sometimes clicking and and look like world beaters on on the next weekend. They look like yeah, they are Schalke 2.0. <laughs> so um, last if you have a, if you want to have a crack at it and explain to me and listeners. Why, why Werder Bremen are who they are this season? Please go ahead. Well, I don't really have a good explanation either. Um, I think you you uh, make fair points about them trying to play football, which I think is, generally speaking, a, a positive trend in the Bundesliga. I think there are a couple of sides, uh, Gladbach Frankfurt, for example, uh, who are much more positive than in years past and it, it makes for better viewing. But, you know, as, as you said, uh, Bremen kind of have problems backing that up with, you know, that, that stability that Dortmund are showing at the moment. I mean, Dortmund aren't playing, uh, the stars out of heaven, as we say in Germany, but, <laughs> you know, they, they, they get results done and they look fairly comfortable, uh, in games in, which in recent years they would have struggled to come away with wins or even draws at times. So I don't really know why Bremen aren't there yet, but then again, I mean, nobody's on Dortmund's level this season, so maybe that's the the wrong standard to hold uh, a a worse side to just going by individual talent. But uh, I I could easily see Bremen go on a run in the second half of the season and be the the Frankfurt of the Rückrunde. uh, And, you know, that would probably result in, like, fifth place in Europa League, which is their... The goal they have set for themselves before the season, which I always find admirable for a team that hasn't played in Europe for a number of years. But I could also see them uh, have another slump and end up just in Bremen territory of the last few years, which is, you know, maybe top half, maybe 10th or 11th or whatever. So it is it is kind of an enigmatic uh, team at the moment, but, you know, at least they are most of the time enjoyable to watch because when they're good, they're just good to watch in terms of their footballing. And when they're bad, they make uh, funny enough mistakes or or give the opponent enough chances to for the game to be enjoyable as well. So I think typically uh, at Dortmund, they've been fairly good in the last few years. Uh, I, I think we all remember the final Tuchel home game in Bundesliga. That was arguably the best game of that season uh obviously had the better end for Dortmund uh, making the Champions League uh but you know I'm I'm 
I could easily see Dortmund running away with it on Saturday night, and I could easily see them drop points because that's just how Bremen operate the season, as you said. Yeah, uh, that's that's very true. I mean, um, one player who has um, yeah been a tough, tough headache for Dortmund in recent seasons was always Max Kruse because uh, of his elusiveness and and um, yeah, just his ability to make a lot of you know create a lot of danger out of very little um he is just a very intelligent player um knows how to run and especially how to counter attack and i assume this is something that um brem will will try to do as well um Kohfeldt, their coach i think had to answer a million questions about nuri shine um who of course will get his uh, big farewell on uh, saturday night this is already planned And I think uh, Michael saw confirmed that today. Um, I don't know if um, if he will play though, um, because that depends a little bit about um, Bremen's approach. So far, they often have uh, played with a diamond in midfield with uh, Maximilian Eggestein, I think, as as the uh, anchor sechser, as the lone number six, and then uh, Klaassen and Möwald or also and and Max Kruse as as uh, yeah the other players with Kruse being the, the number 10 class and like the left midfielder and move out the right i don't know if if they uh, will play with a back four or not and uh, if there's any space for Nori Shine in there and also i don't necessarily know if it would be a good idea to play him just because of his uh, lack of pace and his positional let's say um yeah his problems in in positioning because even if you watch him for Bremen he had a couple of good games but what i see is that Nuri Shine is very often on the ground <laughs> trying to tackle and uh, if you do that i think that always speaks for uh poor positioning and is for example something that Lucien Favre absolutely hates because if you uh, basically lay down on the floor you are out of the game so to speak um i don't know Lars, if you look at Bremen's squad and, and their midfield, would you play Nuri Shine against Borussia Dortmund, who are at least results-wise on form? Well, in, am I partial to Bremen in this scenario or to Dortmund? Um, just for for the sake of it, partial for Bremen. Yeah, there's no way I'm playing Nuri Shahin, especially as a lone number six with Marco Reus uh, being Dortmund's number 10. I mean, you just saw Schalke being completely unable to contain his runs uh, in the 10 space. And, you know, they had Sebastian Rudi, who, while not on form, is arguably one of the best defensive midfielders in the Bundesliga. was something we cannot say for uh, Nuri Shahin. So, uh, as a from a Dortmund's perspective, I would love for him to to play and for him to be, you know, the the base midfielder in a diamond because that would spell absolute disaster for Bremen. I think it's not going to happen. The only way he starts the game uh, is if Bremen go with the back three, which I think they did uh, in their 2-1 away win last season at Dortmund. But, you know, that was Stöger ball, so it's uh, obliterated from my memory, really. Um <laughs> Yeah, but the problem in that is that they only have three healthy center backs available to them, so it would be quite uh, quite the risk to play all of them at once. Obviously, you can hmm. uh, put maybe Gebre Selassie uh, at, as a, a right-sided center half, as Thomas Tuchel used to do with Piszczek, but I think the way things have gone for Bremen recently, 
at least in my view, it would be prudent not to make too many changes and to be too experimental with your team. I think you just roll with uh, Eggestein and Möwald, who did pretty well against Düsseldorf, from what I can tell, because I only watched the first 20 minutes of that game. Uh, I mean, Eggestein, he's really intelligent. He can run a lot. He's physical enough. So if you tell him, you know, forget about your own ambitions going forward, just cover Royce for 90 minutes, I think he could get that job done somewhat comfortably and 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 force Dortmund to beat them without Royce as the main focal point of attack, which is something I, I would at least try to do. Yeah. Also, what I, I would say is that uh, Bremen managed to replace Thomas Eleni pretty well with uh, David Klaassen. Um, to me, he is one of the key players in their midfield just because he has a physical component but also can do something with the ball after winning it. Um which is uh, more than you can say about players like uh, Kor, for example, who's playing for Leverkusen, who is just a destroyer and nothing else. And Klaassen even, I think, has a bit of a goal threat in him as well. Um, as we just learned, Thomas Delaney can also score. I think he actually scored against Dortmund last season as well. Um, all that being said... Um, how do you expect Dortmund to to go into this game? We've just discussed them um, yeah, playing not their best football against Schalke and also, by your account, uh, the game against Monaco was also um, yeah, not something one could measure. So um, let considered, do you think Dortmund are towering favorites or do you think you know it can be close for Dortmund because their form is maybe not the greatest right now? Well, I, I would say that their form probably isn't at an absolute peak, but it hasn't been for weeks, really. Uh, I think since the second half of the Bayern game, arguably they haven't played their best football. But, you know, they've churned out the results and, and been somewhat comfortable doing it uh, with their newfound defensive stability and, you know, goals coming their way sometimes out of relatively thin air. Uh, if we remember, for example, the Freiburg game, uh, so I, I I think just, you know, as the unbeaten league leaders at home, you will probably be favored against any team and especially with Bremen on their, on their own being not necessarily in a great run of form. Uh, I, I would expect Dortmund to win this game. But as I said earlier, you know, Bremen are the kind of side that can really pick themselves up against good opposition and, and play just out of their minds, even though they haven't really done it necessarily this season, I think, against uh, the the better opponents, they've been not so great in terms of results. I mean, they, they kept the Bayern game close, but they should have lost by more, I think, from what I've heard. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, kind of difficult to predict, especially because we don't exactly know what kind of personnel will be available for Dortmund, because, you know, if for whatever reason, uh, Royce can't play, for example, that changes the entire complexion of the game because he's such a such a vital player to everything they do in attack. So we are recording on Thursday night and as of now, I'm fairly optimistic uh, of Dortmund's chances, but, you know, by Saturday uh, 5.30 or whatever, that, that could change in a heartbeat. Yeah. We all know how that sometimes uh, happens when the lineup comes out and uh, someone like Royce or so isn't in there. And the question, of course, would then be who replaces him? 
just for the sake of it, um, maybe for, for now still a bit hypothetical discussion, but also Marco Royce won't play uh, in every game. Do you think that Mario Götze will be put in a 10 position or uh, maybe even some, someone called Shinji Kagawa, <laughs> which I think is unlikely now that he didn't even make the squad to uh, to play against Monaco? Um What what is your solution? How uh, did Dortmund actually solve that problem against Monaco? Well, interestingly enough, it was Maximilian Philipp, who I think most people expected to be the striker in place of Alcacer, uh, who played as sort of the the ten, if we want to call it that. It was really more of a nine and a half, but you know that's basically splitting hairs for Dortmund's system. Uh, and Götze was up front, so. We've, we've really not seen too much of Götze as the number 10 in Alcázar up front. Uh, so I don't think that would be likely if Reus were to be unavailable. I think it would be, uh, Götze up front and Philip behind him, uh, with Alcázar coming off the bench. But, you know, it wouldn't be outrageous to maybe see something crazy like, uh, a clear 4-3-3 with maybe Dahoud as the most advanced number eight or whatever. So I don't, I, I think they are pretty well aware that they can't replace Marco Reus like for like in a game against good opposition. I think against Monaco, they basically didn't care if it went wrong because even, you know, coming in second would still have been okay given their Bundesliga form. Yeah. All right. I I think that's that's a good answer. I don't have a better one uh, up my sleeve either. Um, do you think that uh, someone like Pischek will get a rest and and Schmelzer return to the starting lineup, or do you think that uh, Favre will keep the Hakimi on the left side and uh, Pischek on the right side uh, set up for now? Well, Pischek just got a rest at Monaco. Um, Schmelzer only made his comeback there, but uh, if I'm not mistaken, played 90 minutes. So. I would assume that Schmelzer can't go again, which puts Hakimi on the left side, which you know is is fine enough. I mean, I I do uh, like him much better on the right side. I think he appreciates it more too. But you know that kind of versatility is why he was brought in. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I mean, he has been doing quite well on either side so far. I don't really think there's a drop of quality if he moves to the right or the left. I think he's been pretty consistent even though um he is let's say not as influential or, or stellar right now as he was uh in the weeks where he also i think assisted three against uh atletico or so but um he's still playing quite well um maybe it's down to tactics that he's not advancing as much anymore um i don't know or also simply down to brun larsen who I think is not playing well to you know any stretch in in, in recent weeks. Um, I don't know how you see his development, but I can see Brun Larsen losing his spot to Guerrero if this goes on. Well, I, I wouldn't be surprised, especially for this game, just because of you know the hot hand factor, and Guerrero should still have pretty fresh legs because he's not been used too much this season. Uh, I I agree uh, on Brun Larsen one hundred percent. I've not been impressed necessarily with him over the last few games but you know I also don't think and I think most people would agree with that notion that Brun Larsen is at the absolute top top level of talent I think he does a lot of 
smart but simple things right i mean he's he's you don't see uh, him having any or posing any problems when he's he's playing i mean even if he's had a, he's having a bad game individually up front he's still putting in the work and and doing his his duties diligently whereas for example sancho can be a liability defensively and even Pulisic, even though he's better than Sancho going, uh, going backwards, if you like, uh, even he has some of these issues at times. So I think the, the floor is pretty high with Brun Larsen. The, the ceiling isn't too high and he's not coming anywhere close to the ceiling. So I would like for Pulisic to get an extended run just because he needs to get out of that rut of form eventually. Uh, but I don't think it's likely. So I would assume it's going to be Guerrero against Bremen. And then, you know, for the Fortuna Düsseldorf game on Tuesday night, you know, all bets are off there. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some funky stuff there in terms of rotation. <laughs> Yeah, neither do I, especially because I think Dortmund need to also then kind of head a little bit to that uh, Gladbach game, which is already on Friday. So, you know, three games within six days is a bit of a stretch, and I think rotation is very much needed, and uh, Favre will be very careful, which I think overall we can say he is when it comes to rotation. I mean, just look at uh, how many minutes Alcatha has played so far. I think that really describes it the best, how careful Favre really is by, uh, yeah, trying to keep everyone as healthy as possible. And, uh, for what it's worth, I think it's working really well. I mean, if we look at the, the injuries Dortmund have, there's just not, not much. I think Dan Axel Zagadou is, is right now the only one injured and there are a couple of players who have a few knocks and, you know, a couple of niggles, but nothing, nothing really bad. And Zagadou might as well be fit for, for Bremen. I don't even know what the status is on him. No, he's, so, he's um, still in a walking boot. Uh, I think he posted something on social media yesterday. Okay. So that's, he's probably out for the rest of the year. I would imagine that they're not going to, uh, rush him back from an ankle injury, especially with Topak, uh, doing really well against Monaco. There's no reason. Yeah, I mean, he only has, there are only three games left in the year, yeah. so um, it's not too dramatic. Even though it's sad for the kid because he was just magnificent before his injury, but uh, yeah, Dortmund now have that depth at the center back position that they can actually be very comfortable. And I think Diallo and uh, Akanji is a kick-ass center back pairing. Anywho, so um, yeah, I'm looking I'm looking forward to the Bremen game. Um, if we want to do predictions real quick, I think Dortmund will win it three to two. I think it's going to be a bit more of an open game than we have uh, seen recently against uh, Freiburg and Mainz and Brugge and so on and Schalke, of course. Um, so um, yeah, I I think we'll get a bit more action. Then again, I've said that exact same line uh, ahead of the Freiburg game, and I couldn't have been more wrong. So, um, so much for that. Lars, what's your prediction for that game? Well, seeing as, you know, Dortmund, as I said, aren't really, you know, peaking at the moment, but churning out the results, I think that's going to keep on happening. So I'm going with a 2-0 home win. All right. Interesting. All right. I, I guess then we can briefly move on to the, uh, Düsseldorf game on, on Tuesday night. Because I don't think either of us has too much to say about that because A, we don't know what the personal situation will be for Dortmund. 
and be it's Düsseldorf. Düsseldorf. Yeah, I mean they they've had this freak three three draw away to Bayern Munich and Luka Baku can counterattack, especially when you have someone like Mats Hummels in in, in your backline and someone as careless as Nico Kovac on the sideline who sometimes um, applies a Peter Bosch esque style of let's be completely susceptible to counterattacks. And yeah, those three goals, I think all were pretty similar by Dusseldorf against Bayern Munich as in there just hoofed it long. Luke Baki got to it and scored. I don't know, um, if this is a plan that will be as efficient against Dortmund because Dortmund thus far this season, um, haven't really conceded a lot of counterattacking goals. So, um, yeah, so much for that. And otherwise, I think Düsseldorf are just a very poor team, and if Dortmund don't come away with a win from from that, it's it's going to be a major major upset. Um, just because, yeah, Düsseldorf can defend at, I guess, collectively to some extent, but if you really put the pressure on them, they should fall apart. And uh, I I just don't think Rengsing will have the uh, game of his life against Dortmund again. What what is your assessment of this match? Uh, Basically the same. I mean, I only remember watching 20 minutes of Düsseldorf this season uh, outside of highlights, and those were 20 minutes against Bremen. Uh, I mean, th th you can look at that squad, and without being a dick, you will find out fairly soon that that's not necessarily a side that you imagine plays in the Bundesliga. And if if you imagine them being a second division side, I don't think you put them at the very top of the league with the likes of uh, Hamburg and Cologne and even Union Berlin. So there, there shouldn't be any problem for Dortmund in this game. Uh, we've seen them be very solid against opposition. They need to handle easily this season outside of uh, the Hannover game, which came on match day two, if I'm not mistaken. So that's yes. been, been months, literally. So, I mean, th there's always the possibility of a fluke result, especially late in the year. I think they've they've had a few of these. I, I seem to remember one all draw against Augsburg when they just changed coaches two years ago. Uh, so some of these games in late December have been quite weird for Dortmund, but, you know, there's I just don't have enough imagination to expect anything other than a somewhat comfortable result for Dortmund, even though, obviously... Uh, if if Düsseldorf is more of a second division side, the two second division sides Dortmund have faced this season have uh, forced them to 120 minutes, so that's not possible on Tuesday night. Uh, but you know, anything other than an away win would be a massive shock, and not only a bad sign for the super important Gladbach game on Friday, but also kind of a, a damper after what has been really a, a fantastic first half of the season. Yeah, certainly. I mean, just dropping points away to Düsseldorf would just be um, very, very unfortunate. Just overall, if if Dortmund drop points in the in in the next two games, that would be you know somewhat yeah annoying. I would say going you know by the title ambitions and how well they've played all season. I think um, you know just keeping that winning run al alive now is is very crucial um, because. I think Bayern are, are slightly recovering 
now and are a little bit on the up. And if you manage to carry that nine point margin, margin or even extend it because Bayern still have to play Leipzig and Frankfurt, um, then, uh, yeah, you can have a very nice Christmas, especially uh, with Dortmund playing Leipzig and Frankfurt themselves early in the second half of the season. So if you drop points now, you are looking at a scenario where suddenly Bayern can really make up a lot of ground quickly in the second half of the season, which would not be just, you know, right after the the performances of those two teams over the first half of the season. Exactly. So for the sake of the good in the world, Dortmund need to win these two games. And I, I don't think Dortmund will absolutely select Düsseldorf like they did against Stuttgart, I don't think it's going to be like a 4-0. I think it's going to be maybe like a 2-0 or like a 3 nothing. That doesn't feel like a 3 nothing, if you know what I mean. Um, where they then just add another goal like in, in stoppage time or whatever. But um, yeah, this is like... I think a 2-0 or 3-0 is just a good prediction, so I'll, I'll go with the latter. Um, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, I'll be a bit more conservative going by some of the recent results away from home, they kind of given away chance here and there. And I can just see Luke Bakio being uncovered in one of these instances and scoring. So I'm going with a 2-1 away win. But honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if it was more towards your prediction of a fairly easy game. Just I bear in mind that, you know, there there might be the Marius Wolves and maybe even Jeremy Tolians of this world playing instead of... I don't know, uh, Jaden Sancho and Ashraf Hakimi or whatever. So I'm, I'm, I'm just taking that into account as well. Yeah, that is fair enough. Um, you of course never know what kind of, um, yeah, roster Dortmund will have available for this game, but I don't know. Somehow I, I still think it's, it should be enough, but it's tough with Dortmund because sometimes just a little bit of rotation here and there. And all of the sudden nuts and bolts come off, uh, as we've seen against Union Berlin and uh, Kräuterfurt, if you will. Anyway, Lars, I think that uh, should be enough for now. Um, we, uh, I guess, will be back with another episode um, either on on Thursday or or Wednesday. I don't know when would be best um, because uh, the Gladbach game is already on Freiburg, but uh, something like that. In the meantime, how can uh, people get in touch with you? on Twitter. They can follow me at Lars Polman and I will personally redirect everyone who's having any questions whatsoever. All right. Awesome. You can find me at Stefan Butzko. If you want to get a hold of all of us, go to yellowwallpod.com or on Twitter at yellowwallpod, Facebook yellowwallpod. And please subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud. And if you want to contribute financially, please go to patreon.com slash the yellow wall. And uh, yeah, I hope everyone will have good holidays, even though we'll speak again. And thank you for listening. And again, Lars, thank you for coming on. Until next week, and goodbye.